welcome Board Game Binge. The place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Jay Banna of Grinley Games. Jay is a board game enthusiast and entrepreneur with a passion for game design. His debut title, Savage, a Game of Survival, is currently on Kickstarter. Jay, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? Hey, James. Thanks you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Oh, it is great to have you on here. I totally geek out over social deduction type games. We're going to get into the games in a second because, uh, oh man, this is uh, right in my wheelhouse. But before I do that, let's mm-hmm. go, let's dial this clock back and get into the history. How? So I read somewhere like since 2003 is when you kind of first had the bug kind of bite you on game design. Like what was that all about? What, how'd that happen? So at that time, I mean, I got invested into a lot of tabletop style games. I mean, outside of board games, I did traditional trading card games, you know, your typical Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, a lot of that stuff. And then it transitioned into a lot of tabletop games. And for me, it was just always an escape with things that I always had to personally deal with in my lifestyle. Mm. Um, And I've always just embraced that with people who I was close friends with and spent a lot of time with. So um, I think really like just naming off some games, like I was a big fan for um, Secret Hitler. I really enjoyed, um, uh, gosh, I'm thinking Betrayal at House on the Hill. That was actually like the biggest gateway game that I loved uh, that got me more into the RPG realm and trying out different types of games. Oh, nice. And uh, so when did you start actually like tinkering or making your own types of games like was this the first uh, attempt or was there previous attempts you'd done in the past like imagine since 2003 there must have been some tinkering along the way it was actually me creating card games with my friends uh and it was you know not nothing serious of course it was just oh let's create our own art or what if we could do some cool stuff it was just taking what we knew and thought let's just make something different with it and see what it does um and i i also did uh design some games for close uh, friends like party style games. Like for example, we came we came up with this game called uh, uh, me and a friend called uh, Liar's Tale. Mm. And so the way Liar's Tale works was each person when they enter your house they get a, a truth card and a fa- and a fail uh, a truth and a liar card. And okay. so you pick a person. You, everyone starts with three Mardi Gras beads. They put them around their necks. And the goal is whoever has the most Mardi Gras beads at the end of the day gets a trophy of some sort. Sure. And the general just as you pick a person. Each person wagers however many beads they want. Depends up to them. They pick a card of the two they're given face down, and then they say something about themselves. It could be a truth. It could be a lie. It could be anything. But whoever's right, they get all of the reward, and then they add it to their kind of their their stack of of, of Monte Gras beads that they're collecting. But like it, little games like those, like I just was very excited of the idea of creative experience for people. Um, when I was younger, that sounds like an amazing uh, icebreaker, even eh? for like a corporate event or even a party or things like that too. eh? That was actually one of the reasons why we came up with that idea because it was supposed to break the ice. It was supposed to get people engaged and the stories that comes with it too also is entertaining. Yeah. And so you're doing these games along the way. And then at, at what point did you start thinking that this is something you want to do like seriously? Like it, was it like, were you involved with, kickstarter and were you like investing in other people's games and that kind of get you hooked in or how did you kind of 
the whole Kickstarter thing come about and, you know, finally taking that next step and saying, okay, I'm not just going to make games for my friends and, and families, but I want to, I want to create one for realsies. So four years ago, and the story is actually on my Kickstarter. I created, so four years ago, before I got married, I gave a gift to my groomsmen and I didn't want to get like a watch or something generic to me. Yeah. I'm just always that guy who's super creative. I have been for many years. And so for some reason, I had this idea, let's just make a board game and give that as a gift to my groomsmen. So I spent, I want to say eight months coming up with the idea, the design, the concept that was the original Savage, a game of survival. So mm. I got all the components, got the box, everything all sorted out. I even had a picture at the very bottom of the Kickstarter. You'll see an image of what the original box and some of the cards looked like. Very, you know, very simple stuff, nothing too crazy. Um, and not too much has changed. I mean, there's plenty of things that have been modified, but um, I decided after I made the game and when me and my close friends had played the game, family and so forth, I decided, you know what? I've always been wanting to do design full time. I wanted to devote a lot more and invest that opportunity to learn and engage that type of industry. So yeah. I decided back in the start of 2020, I'm going to just go ahead and start creating my own company and, and make this a real thing. Oh, wow. That's what led the journey. When you created that first prototype, were you using Game Crafter or how did you, how did you make the game? No cards, no cards and piece of paper. There was nothing really. I think the first ever prototype I made was me taking some of my trading cards and just sliding a piece of paper with just some writing on it. It was yeah. very uh, generic stuff. I didn't buy out, you know, some products like white cards and filled them out. That yeah. it just was as simple as writing on a piece of paper. It's amazing what you can do even with sleeves, right? And I talked to um, uh, Joe Slack about this a lot. And you see this, if you go to any pro spiels, you see a lot of people do this. They'll take just a blank white card. So you have some rigidity. They'll put that mm -hmm. in a, in a sleeve, maybe a Euro size or a bridge deck size sleeve. And then they'll do very rudimentary artwork. They'll they'll slide on either side of that piece of paper mm -hmm. uh, to create a card, right? Then you can shuffle them. There's some rigidity and so forth. But what's cool about that is it allows you to make a change on the spot, right? So if you're doing prototyping uh, and or you're doing like a play test with somebody and you, you figure out on the spot something's not working or something needs to change or maybe I need to change the, the point value on that card or increase the point value on that card, you can literally do pull the pen, pull the piece of paper out, make the change and slide it back in and say, okay, let's, let's go again and see how that works. So it is amazing how, how efficient that is in helping you kind of iterate as you go along in a very tactile way. Right. Oh, for sure. And I mean, I had so many sleeves lying around. I thought I'm just going to go ahead and take advantage of this. Um, and even in the process, when I was coming up with the mechanics, I mean, just trying to mark all of them on piece of paper. Eventually I had a upgrade to some yeah. Excel and do some mathematics some serious stuff. And then eventually got that to work. Yeah. Um, and then after seriously diving in deep to the Excel, you know, mathematics and formula, I was able to come up with the right percentages. And as I got closer with the testing, eventually I felt comfortable going to new people, new players and complete strangers trying out the game without my influence whatsoever, them just trying it out and them giving me very good positive feedback. Um, the game took about three years to fully develop. And that was just a lot of efforts from local communities. Uh, even nowadays, every Wednesday at 6.30 here at, in Arizona uh, at a place called Silver Key Lounge, 
myself and other game designers, we, we actually meet there with other people who are interested in trying prototypes and we'll, we'll prototype our games right there at the lounge. Awesome. And that's a great way for new gamers, uh, game designers to jump into the industry, learn things on their own, get the feedback that they want without having to question things on their own or with their personal close friends or so, so on and so forth. No, that's cool. What do you do when you're not board gaming? Like what's your, what's your day job? Like what, what do you do that's outside of, uh, doing this cool thing called making board games. So my background is in engineering. I'm a civil engineer by trade, but uh, for the last 10 years, I've been in the construction realm. Oh, uh, nice. Right now I am a project manager for, as a consultant for Intel. So for oh, me, wow. that's, I, I, per, I, my background is project management. Anything that deals with managing product delivery, uh, making sure we finish things on time, construction yeah. efforts, tasks, and, you know, overall management, that's where my background and skill set comes from with of course the skill sets of engineering in my background too i tell you if there is any skill that's <laughs> transferable to launching a board game and publishing a board game project management is pretty much it right if you want any skill at all that's the one you want to have because it allows you to keep things on track and pull all the pieces together and kind of you know, sort through the confusion, which can sometimes happen, right? When you're trying to cobble through something, especially if it's your first time through uh, publishing a game. Uh, oh, yeah. A lot of little elements, right? You got to try to pull in. And, uh, you know, gosh, that, what, what a great uh, career to have as, uh, as a skill set you can leverage over. I, I think that's awesome. Oh, for sure. And, you know, for me, my the biggest element to that is like the back end, right? So after yeah. you have gotten excited about a project, you want to pledge it, you're thinking to yourself, okay, the duration of the shipping and what if something happens and, oh, are they going to charge me unexpected fees? You know, I've been there, done that as far as witnessing uh, it as a backer when I do my pledges. And so yeah. for me, the edge that I have is that when I went through the development of, of Savage Game of Survival, I've already was in negotiations with the manufacturer talking about price and and shipping options. And so the edge that I have is that I'm going to be able to receive samples and I already have all of my files qualified through the manufacturer in advance. So we're not just selling an idea, we're selling the actual product. I think it's almost the cost of entry now to be quite candid, right? Like there in, you know, you're now interview 192. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's been, I, I know at least two times when I was talking to somebody, then, you know, either on air or off air or talking, and I said, you know, how's the manufacturing? Like who, who are you using to do your manufacturing? And the response is, well, we'll we're going to figure that out after the campaign's done. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what? Like I could see that being the model 15 years ago, but now, man, you got to make sure you've got your ducks in a row, right? Before you hit launch on that Kickstarter campaign, or you can set yourself up for a whole world of hurt. Um, you know, it's things like costs, as you know, uh, container costs, right? Gone through the roof, uh, manufacturing costs. You change something in your game, but you haven't pre uh, talked to your manufacturer about what the Im impact of that cost could be that could hit you. You know, saying, hey, let's throw something cool into our box because it's going to, you know, benefit all of our backers, not realizing that puts you over the wage or not the wage, the uh, weight bracket into the very next, you know, shipping weight bracket. I mean, even just fulfillment to backers can jack your costs up 20%, right? So it's really, really crucial. Uh, if there's somebody out there listening, thinking about getting into publishing a game, yeah. please, for the love of God get all that organized ahead of time before you launch. And uh, I always quote Jamie Stagmire on this. And again, I always encourage people to go to his, uh, his website, stonemeyergames.com 
check out his blogs. It is paint by numbers. He gives you so many tips and tricks on, on how to go about doing this from A to Z. And the one thing I read in his book that I really took to heart was that if you delay your campaign because you're not ready, nothing bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Nothing bad. But if you launch and you're not quite ready or you launch maybe a week or two weeks earlier and say, oh, you know, we, we, you set an artificial timeline, be, you know, uh, that you're trying to stick to, you can cause yourself a lot of, a lot of heartache, right? Which is unnecessary mm-hmm. just by saying, well, you know what? I'm not going to be held to this artificial timeline I've given myself. I'll push my campaign out two weeks and give myself a little more breathing space. And that, that's okay. It's not going to, it's not really going to impact anything, right? So. No, I 100% agree. I mean, I... I got to the point where I was doing this game for three years and I, I was noticing myself being nitpicky to the point where I was wondering, okay, am I going to launch it now? I've actually pushed the date maybe four or five times yeah. up to, and totally worth it needs to happen. Uh, and going back to kind of the quality of the product and making sure you do all of the, the, the back end stuff yeah. ahead of time. I mean, you're right. I agree. It's, it's, it should be the bare minimum for any company. Now there's probably, there's probably a, uh, a wiggle room there. If you're talking a large project that doesn't have to be fully fanned out, but for the majority of what you know needs to be done, then that's probably, you know, there's probably some wiggle room there. One of the things, and we're kind of, I'm kind of diving into Kickstarter here is I wanted to try something a little different than a lot of what I've read uh, on online forums, uh, books and so forth. And so for me, the one thing I tried different and you'll notice it on the Kickstarter page, I have a section where it talks about the components and there's an area that's called component highlights. And Mm. so what I did was instead of me bringing it up as a form of a stretch goal or me wanting to highlight it throughout a period of time, I just went ahead and was just full transparent. I talked about how I have linen cards for the standard size cards. I talked about how I have black core. I talked about how I have uh, a large 25 millimeter die. I, I emphasized, and also not only that, but the tray, the plastic insert tray, which will hold everything, including all of your standard size cards sleeved. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to take this opportunity to be upfront, transparent about the quality of the game and what you're buying. So for me, when you buy this product, I know that from what the highlighted components are and what's included in the game, it's going to last a long period of time, including with things like if you decide to sleeve your game, not to say that you need to, but you have extra compartment space if you wanted to get the upgraded tokens or uh, maybe at a later date if I decide to add more cards in the future. It, it, It provides a lot more flexibility in that regards, but the highlight components was something I use as a tactic to see if I could try something different on Kickstarter. Yeah. That's funny. Sleeving cards. I, I had a campaign uh, where I had a backer reach out and say, yeah, I just want to check. Is that uh, tray? Is it going to fit the cards with the sleeves on them? And my answer is like, of, of course it will. Get on the phone right away with the manufacturer. Okay. We need to adjust our tray boys. <laughs> and you know, I'll tell you this, like, the the sleeves in the in the box itself, I I personally I enjoy the idea of like trading cards. Trading yeah. card games is like my background, right? Doing a lot of that over the years, sure. and so that's normal for me. Board games, I don't often sleeve my components, but there have been times where, like for my D- Dominion uh, copies, I have them sleeved with transparent sleeves, and they're just typical penny sleeves. Um, so for me, I, I gave it as an option again, trying something different with the product development, and I felt that that upgraded. Um, modification to the tray was something advantageous, at least for the backers. So Savage, which is uh, start off uh, with 
your your groomsmen, I guess, for your wedding, and then this turned into this passion project. Now, mm-hmm. um, can you explain to us a little bit about how you play this game? So it's a social deduction game at, at its root, I guess. Right? Is the, the easiest? It falls within that realm. That's correct. So how does somebody go about playing this game? If you could use a script of words for those who are listening and not necessarily watching, how would somebody go about playing Savage? So just the general theme is that you and a bunch of strangers are trying to survive the apocalypse. And beggars can't be choosers because the team you have, let's just say, you have no way of seeking for new help. This is the best A team you're going to find. But unfortunately, some of those people among your team are secretly traitors who believe the best way to eliminate or the best way to survive the apocalypse is by eliminating survivors that let's just face it we need them to be killed through natural selection you know we got a new civilization we have to form after all the the apocalypse is already happening in their minds so they're just trying to help humanity at this point so you have two different identities survivors and traders uh, the survivor's objective is to ensure that they survive all four rounds even if the survivors survive with them survivors win the traders lose Additionally, if they do not fulfill that objective, if they feel like they can't make it all four rounds, the other alternative is for them to eliminate a trader. Now, in this game, each player gets three heart tokens. Mm. And if you lose a life, you just flip a heart token face down. Once you lose all three, no matter how many players, it could be one, it could be multiple players at the same time. Once any player is eliminated, the game ends. So um, that's the objective for the survivors. The trader... The traders, all they need to do is eliminate a survivor, but there's a catch. And the catch is they don't care who they eliminate as long as a survivor is among them. So natural selection didn't exclude their fellow trader partners, if you know what Mm. I'm saying. (laughs) And it's a different twist in that instead of primarily focusing on the deduction side of who is good, who is bad, the game does a well, uh, it does a good job in focusing on the cooperativeness and the deception side of what traders are doing behind the scenes. Mm. And with the with the options and the choices that you have in the game, such as scavenging for resources, using medicine to heal people, um, and contributing to a pile, a food, what we call it a food stockpile, in hopes there's enough food to feed each player, we hope that in enough rounds you're able to survive long enough to be rescued, which is the main premise and the concept of that game. So when I was watching some of the playthroughs, uh, I thought it was kind of cool that you, so the, 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 I guess there's a leader every round is, is elected. Is that how that works or it just goes in play turn order or how's that work with the leader that sets? So with heads? the leader, it's interesting. Um, like, so in, in my game, um, the leader is actually the player who contributes the most cards in the food stock pile. The ah, leader okay. is based on bidding. Whoever bids the most cards with the resources in their hands, they become El Jefe. Got it. So they set the, they, they, they draw, I guess, an event, and then that event has to be resolved based on the resources are required on it, right? That's correct. So after everyone yeah. conducts their turn, the new leader, whoever puts the most cards in the food pile, would gather those cards, shuffle them face down, and then would would read the event card, which then they can openly read what the fail or the survive outcome is uh, to the public. And then they would pick a team based on what the table to the right side of the uh, event card would say. Mm. Um, and then if there's there are votes, there's a there's a vote of confidence, uh, the vote of confidence to the team, or if you trust the leader, because the leader gets to decide who eats after the end of the round. <laughs> Uh, it's funny with the leader too, and this is something that always blows people's minds, is that assuming there's, say, seven players, yeah. and let's say there's 20 food in the food stockpile, 
the leader has the power to starve as many people as they want, regardless of how much food is in that food stockpile. So they could give all the food to one person. Or they could starve everyone, including themselves. I mean, the choice is really theirs. The only caveat is if I'm the leader and say one player among the group is at one heart, yeah. I if I were to choose to starve that player, it does go to a majority vote. Uh, so they can overrule you and say, no, 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 you're not going to now off that person. You're obviously the traitor, right? That's correct. And one of the things too is that in this game, it definitely has the option for players who do play as traders to choose to sabotage openly. I've seen countless times where some traders, they feel like it's the best way to win by, you know, trying to eliminate a survivor by becoming the leader outbidding for leadership and then just starving everyone but themselves. Um, so for them, it's just, it's just going closer to their objective yeah. and it's thematic to what their objective is. Uh, plus it, it adds a lot more tensity and excitement for the players and, and, and great conversation and dialogue. If you, um, uh, don't achieve the event, so say you don't have enough resources, does everybody take a health hit in that case or? So assuming that if the group, let's say you needed four people and there's eight of you and you don't, you don't have four people who have say a weapon, right. you still as the leader have to select a team. It doesn't happen very often when that does happen. But in that case, what ends up happening is the outcome is you still have to sacrifice a resource from your hand because of the event that took place. And then mm. you would have to optimize how that fail text should be uh, uh, implemented. Um, which is kind of another thing about this game is failure doesn't necessarily mean failure in the sense that you lose or you win. Failure is just another outcome that you have to survive or overcome. Um, it, it's, it's taking the idea of passing or failing events and just saying, you know, what really matters is, is there enough food? Is there enough food? Are you guys healthy? Because at the end of the day, if it's the fourth round and everyone's at one health, listen, you guys did your best and you made it. You got rescued. No, that's cool. Um, you have this thing in your campaign that I haven't really seen a lot of, um, this backer gift, uh, uh, concept. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? So the way I read it is literally every day for like nine days, you're just throwing in, uh, like, like an add-on, uh, essentially right. for the backers. Is that how that works? Or can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the nine day giveaway is focused primarily on whoever backs the project, whether they did the $30 early bird special or above, they will get a free thing that we're giving away each day. And it's a spoiler. Uh, I do a post about it every day. And it's just something you're going to get for free. You don't have to do anything else, nothing special. It's just me saying thank you for backing my first Kickstarter. Um, and of course, if any whoever whoever pledges up until the last day, uh, they will qualify and be able to get that as well for free. Everything that's listed under the backer gifts is just what you're gonna get with the game or whatever you purchase as far as your tiers, mm -hmm. as long as you spend thirty dollars or more. Oh, that's cool. And I know so you did have a uh, like a is a deluxe or like how do you get the wood tokens? Because I know a lot of people are often saying. You know, I like the punch outs, but I, I want the I want either wood or metal if it's available. Um, yeah, the the black walnut tokens. Oh my god, they look so good! I actually yeah. got samples. Unfortunately, it's not with me right now, but um, the black. So they're they are uh, printed. They're ink printed on the wood. Uh, they look so clean, so smooth. You can have it as an add on 
if you want. It's twenty eight dollars to mm-hmm. uh, add uh, the tokens to your package. But honestly, if you really want a good deal, consider the upgraded package, which is you're getting the game and the tokens and sleeves in addition. If you were actually mm. to break out the add-ons separately with the base game itself, you're actually spending more money than if you pledge for a higher amount. I made it that way so that you can get more savings if you do an upgrade or a platinum package. The same thing for platinum. The only difference with platinum is that you get the tokens, the sleeves, the game, and a large two two foot by three foot, it's like 90 centimeters by 60 centimeters mat. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. And so does everything fit in the box? Everything but the mat. Uh, so the tokens will fit in the in the box. You can sleeve all the cards that you get. Um, you get 150 transparent sleeves. The sleeves wow. themselves are custom. So mm. typical, like typical penny sleeves, it actually shows on the Kickstarter what they're normally thickness wise. Mm-hmm. But we actually show what the real thickness is for our sleeves and how they're almost three times as thick. So high quality will keep your components protected. Again, if you choose to opt into the sleeves. For people who are um, having aspirations of you know launching a game of their own someday and uh, listening to someone like yourself, where this is your kind of your first time through, what is some advice you would offer to maybe another game developer out there that is considering going on Kickstarter with their game? What, what are some things that you would say, hey, this is something you guys should really consider when you kind of first approach this? Oh man, that's tough. There's just so many things. Just uh, give me one. I'll give you, I'll give you, <laughs> I'll give it to you, James. So here's, here's what my advice would be. All right. If you're going to create a game and you are in love with that game, you love how it plays. You've tested it with a bunch of people. Now you're ready to consider planning for Kickstarter. You, my recommendation is get get start get start the art process start with a theme and an art process that you enjoy um most times when you get into the art side you know you want to do something that maybe relates to the theme of the game um if you decide to go the route with the ip route to go for something in that regards that's noticeable by a lot of people that's also a good direction but whatever it is get your art sorted out and have a few you know start the process early and reach out to people on social media and build a following Mm. because the art plus discussing about the game even prototyping your game anything as far as a post and update anything like that start building up that uh list of followings you should theoretically start that list a year in advance yeah i mean that way you are really giving yourself a chance of getting as many people to back the project as quickly as you can for myself I was I was a bit too nitpicky. I was so focused on the art and the components and qualifying the mechanics uh, that I actually ended up focusing on marketing. I want to say like maybe three four months prior to the launch, which in reality is that people say that it's reasonable. But honestly, you should start that in a year prior yeah. to the launch of your Kickstarter. No, that's good advice. I think it was Brendan McCaskill that was saying to me um, last time he did Mythwin, and we're uh, talking about some of his advertising he was doing and one thing i thought he did was really clever is they would take a concept of a cover and they put that on throw like 20 30 bucks on facebook and just see like an a b test of mm-hmm. do you like this or do you like this and based on people signing up would give them an idea of okay this is definitely a direction over here where it's going to engage more people um long and as you said like a year before they're even ready to start kind of you know fine tuning things, even just with taking stock photography and, you know, just mocking something up. Is this a concept that people find interesting? Well, 
good way to test that is just put a little bit of money behind some ads and see what kind of engagement you get, right? Oh, for sure. And kind of to touch on that as well, one of the things about my particular experience is that since my game is much more for larger groups, I think that has another lingering effect. If you if you create a game that's a one to four player game, I think that that hits a lot harder uh, to a broader audience. When you start getting into the group style games that takes a lot more people, it's going to definitely be a different experience with trying to draw in your audience. So just that be mindful of that too. I don't think many people talk too much about the, how the, the player count on a game, how that differs for the marketing or the outreach efforts. Mm. So that's another thing I would just as a suggestion, because I did the large party group type of style. Yeah. game, And, you know, I didn't know what to kind of get into at that point. I just knew that for me, I felt that I had a great game that was very enjoyable. People really had fun playing the game, testing the game in multiple conventions I've attended. And yeah. I've met some amazing friends along the way. No, that's cool. What's the minimum player count on your game? I, I didn't ask. Is it is it three, four? Like what's the minimum number of should play? It is play? four players. So it All plays right. four to ten players. The nice. more players you play, the more enjoyable it is. You got much more opportunities for decept deduction and uh, or not deduction so much, but deception and really just having a, a blast with your friends. Honestly, that the that would always be my recommendation. Oh, Another awesome. Another thing about the the game for Savage Game Survival is that just like the hidden identity roles, um, there are two ways to play the game. You can play it standard mode where the traders would actually know one another. We do a thing called a traders meeting, and that's when they conspire against the group and everyone closes their eyes and they see one another. Yeah. But there's insomnia mode. That's where the traders have no idea who their fellow traders are, that's and cool. you just proceed with the game. And it's 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 an awesome game experience to play when you do it that way as well oh, that's sweet is there like where, what's the next steps from here like this is your first kind of game out of the uh, you know out of the gate like are you working on some other stuff or is there another game coming after this one or is the focus just on this right now or kind of where are you going from here so uh, as I approach closer to the end of the Kickstarter I yeah. do have some plans for a couple of projects I like to work on I mean for me, my main goal, my business model is to take a genre or a concept of the game and try to add a different gameplay experience, uh, one that will provide you a different opportunity or sensation uh, similar to other games in that similar genre. And for now, uh, my main goal is to focus on getting this thing all sorted out for Savage Game Survival, getting sure. everything in the progress. But I also am considering what is the best path for how to launch the next project. I'm I'm taking this opportunity to self-reflect on the experience of the Kickstarter and also my uh, my outreach. And I'm gonna that may actually sway how I systematically figure out that approach uh, after the Kickstarter. The one thing I would say uh, from my experience in in talking to uh, other uh, publishers as well doing this myself, the, the biggest piece of advice I give to someone that's finishing a Kickstarter campaign is as soon as it closes, take, take a moment to pause and reflect back on what just happened through that campaign and jot down all the possible learning you can because you would think you're going to remember, but it fades quick, right? So you want to uh, get the immediacy of it. So as soon as the campaign finishes, jot down all learnings you have, put it in a journal reflect back on that. And I do this. I'll go back and read my notes 
or sometimes I'll even do a video. I'll do a post-game video. And then I'll go back and I'll watch that before my next campaign about a month or two ahead of time just to see, see if there's anything I forgot that I had learned. And uh, it's amazing uh, when you do that, how many things will start getting really embedded up here that you got to mm. keep doing each time. Yeah. Yeah. I have like a little book. That I, I feel like, man, I'd never have stuff that I want at the time. <laughs> Your props. But I have this book where I actually, my all my props, I like, write, like writing my notes down and stuff like that. And th that actually, my once I actually go through the process of doing that self-reflection and really sitting down and, and fo narrow focusing on all of that, that's going to help me kind of sort out what the next steps are. But I, I, I mean, I have a couple of games in mind of things that I'd like to develop, but it really is going to come down to... Um, what is the best one to issue based yeah. on timing and also the Kickstarter? Um, but yeah, I got a couple of game projects that I, I want. I have one that I've been working on during the campaign and I have, I have another one that's like on the back burner, but I'm starting to like, like I did all this work on this one and I'm looking at this other one going, Oh, this one would be just so cool to work on. So I'm torn, but at the same time, it's like, I got to pick the, whichever one I end up going with. I feel like uh, I'll just stick with it and, and see where, where it takes me. Well, if there's any anyone out there listening that loves these kind of social deduction games like I do, I, I mean, I love these kind of games, especially if you have a bunch of people over and you're, you're having a party. What a great way to do ice breaking with people and get people kind of up and animated in, in, and into the game uh, genre. Um, check out the notes, the show notes for this podcast. We'll have a link directly to the Kickstarter page or go to Kickstarter and just do a quick search for Savage. It'll pop up. So... Um, Jay, uh, thanks again so much for your time uh, coming on our podcast. Uh, congrats again on this campaign. You've doubled your funding goal. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see where you guys finally end up, but I'm sure you're very pleased with where you're at already. And I can't wait to see what else is coming from you guys. Me too, man. And hey, I'd like to make a proposition if you're interested. So I know you have some games you developed and you know I have Savage Game of Survival. Would you be willing to do a trade? I get one of your games and you get one of my <laughs> games, huh? Would you be we'll, willing to do that? We'll talk off air. <laughs> you got it. I'll All take the best, that as eh? a, we'll see, potential. Thank you so much. Right, and buddy. Thank you, you for having care. me on. Cheers, take care, man. man. Ciao. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.